Welcome to the first ever edition of Masks, Mats, and Mayhem. I'm your host, Justin Harvey. You can hit me on Twitter at JustinHarvey75 anytime. Just so we know what we're getting into here, mostly we're going to be talking about things Lucha Underground and MMA related, mostly UFC. Those are two things near and dear to my heart and two things that I think uh, deserve... Deserve the talk that they get and the chatter that they get out there, and I'm going to add my voice to the mix. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into it um, and start talking a little bit about Lucha Underground. Now, there's a lot of people out there doing Lucha Underground reviews, and I, I won't say a lot, but there's a few people out there, and they're great at what they do, and uh, I listen to most of them myself just to see what the opinions are out there, but... Uh, opinions is definitely where I'm focused. A little less of review or telling you what happened on the show, a little more of what I think about where the show is going and what I love about it, and, and at times maybe what I don't like about it or what concerns me or things I like to see. I'm definitely a fan, um, so please know that everything that I say, all of my opinions are just coming from the standpoint of a fan. I am not a wrestler. I am not a mixed martial artist. I don't fight. I don't wrestle. I simply enjoy these programs and, you know, the people who compete on them are near and dear to my heart. And hopefully uh, we gain some perspective just by talking about it a little bit. So the Lucha product overall I want to say this, the in-ring quality of the work is phenomenal. It's through the roof. You can tell that the people who are there want to be there. They want to impress the audience. They want to impress the people watching on TV. Everything about the product, you can tell right off the bat, is made by people who care. Um, I saw the product when it it initially started airing, when I heard about the whole thing. Uh, I've worked in reality TV myself. So when I heard Mark Burnett and Robert Rodriguez were teaming up to do a show, I was interested right off the bat. And then I also have been a wrestling fan on and off for a long time. But then when I heard that they were putting together a very new and unique show, specifically for Robert Rodriguez's new network, El Rey, I was intrigued from the get-go. So uh, I did watch some of the early episodes. I didn't go to the first season of the tapings. Uh, Good friend of mine, I did go in the first season, but not at the very beginning. Uh, Good friend of mine, Byron Turk, hit me up, and uh, we had worked together in the past, and you know, he knows I'm a wrestling fan. He's like, have you seen this new Lucha thing? And I was like, dude, I've seen it. I love it. It's great. He was like, well, you know, we went to a couple of tapings in there. It's amazing. It's off the hook. So uh, you got to come with me. And he, you know, if you're in town and I said, okay, well, great, let's do this. So I went with him and, uh, Lucha Gringo and J Ray and a couple other people and met, you know, all the guys in the Lucha click and the, and the, a lot of the fans who go. And that was around the time in the first season of the, uh, return of Drago. So it's definitely a little ways in probably right in the middle of season one was the first taping I ever went to. And I was even more sold. Having seen the product on TV, I thought initially, like, man, is this going to go over with the fans? What's what's going to be the deal with this thing? It's kind of crazy. Uh, the Dario character at first, I didn't know what to make of. I'll be honest. I knew he was an actor, so it was a little hard. It's like, well, you know, and this is this shows where all of us wrestling fans have been is that we're almost programmed that we have to see the real Booker on camera. And it was never like that back in the old days. It was all gimmick, you know. But it was weird to me at first. It was like, but wait, that makes sense. Why would I want to see the real Booker on camera? You know, uh, <laughs> Eric and, and DJ, those guys who write the show and make the show what it is, those, those guys aren't on-air guys, <laughs> nor should they be. Um, and rightfully so, them creating a character to portray the the overlord of this whole universe, uh, is genius. And at first, I will say, it did rub me a little strange, but then as you get into it and you you meet the Dario Cueto character, you really get a feel for where the show is going. And in the first season and in the early episodes, you know, they were presenting, I feel like a little bit more of just trying to present what the product uh, had been in Mexico and with AAA and, and other things, but... It very, very quickly developed with some of the other talent that they brought in into 
what is certainly a hybrid product that I feel no one has really seen before. Some people, some things may be reminiscent of things you've seen before. You might feel some elements of AAA or WWE or, uh, you know, New Japan or even ECW. Uh, and I will say as a, a longtime old school ECW fan that was, was in the old ECW arena and, and saw a few shows around the country um, pre-WWE takeover days that the feeling from the fans especially is very similar to what ECW had going back in the day which is just amazing to me and if you go to if you go to a taping you'll see what I mean uh, for that smaller group of people and it's less people than would be at those ECW shows I mean that that venue only holds a few hundred people uh, in Boyle Heights there and yes, it is really in Boyle Heights for anybody who doesn't know and thinks that that is just part of the storyline. No, you have to drive to Boyle Heights, uh, park on some shady industrial streets, and uh, you know you stand in line with the people, and they are real people, real Angelinos and wrestling fans. Uh, you go into that temple, and it's a whole different feeling. You know it's a TV show. The cameras are there, but it doesn't feel like that it feels like it's the middle of the night even though you're taping in the afternoon and it's just an amazing uh feeling to be in that room and the electricity is there and believe you me anytime the electricity is not there you know vampiro or striker or even dj one of the guys will say two things to the crowd like hey guys don't sleep on us we're still here we got some good stuff and the crowd will just come back to life um so big props to everybody who goes to those shows because I think that's a big part of what's making it. Um, but I digress. So, you know, the Lucha product itself, at first I, I just, like anybody who's going to turn it on for the first time, you're like, what is this? You've got these glossy backstage segments, these, these crazy camera angles. It looks like you're watching a Robert Rodriguez movie, and then all of a sudden you're in the ring, and these guys are flying around, and you know it's a very loose style. It's not these long, drawn-out setups, and you know there's not somebody on the mic backstage talking at you for 25 minutes or cutting some huge promo. There's no pyro. There's no... Jumbotron, um, you know, you got a, a mariachi band playing up in the stands there, and that, that's the stuff that makes it completely unique, and the stuff where they just said, you know, screw it, we're going to go out on a limb here and try something completely different that no one ever, no one's ever done before. Um, you know, the in-ring quality that you get, too, and, and the people that they're bringing in, because it's a small roster, um, you know, they haven't had to bring in a bunch of duds. They're they're affiliated with AAA a little bit so they can bring in some of those guys. There's great indie talent out there that's available to work that they've been able to bring in, uh, some of who have gotten great big pushes. And, you know, being a Lucha fan, and we'll talk about this more as we go on through time, uh, you have to be worried that some of these guys who are really independent wrestlers who aren't under long-term contracts with Lucha for any reason – uh, they may come and go. They may disappear. There may be some great guys that you're seeing in there now that may be gone soon, uh, and you never know. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy them thoroughly when you get to see them at a taping or you get to see them on the show. And, you know, and Lucha's giving these guys the push anyway. You know, a, a lot of guys are getting the push, which is, you know, something that is very unique, I think, to this product. You've seen products with guys that are younger before. You've seen the, the TNAs and the Ring of Honor and whatnot. And they have trouble deciding whether to push certain guys or not, especially if they don't have them under long-term contracts, and they may come or go. And then you get the old-timers that come in, and these guys demand certain pushes and whatnot. And it's just you, you're not getting that in Lucha right now. You're getting a way more even playing field of the cream is going to rise to the top, and that's just it. And whatever storylines are working, other storylines they're going to go with. Whatever in-ring action is working good is what you're going to see. The guys who are, are really putting it in together and doing the work, uh, those are the people you're going to see push. And it doesn't matter if they're male, female, masked, unmasked, uh, former WWE or AAA or just somebody off the indie circuit. It seems like you know the, the, the stuff that people latch onto is the stuff that's getting the push. Um, and the commentary, I'm just going to say this right now. The commentary from Stryker and Vampiro, uh, 
I was always a big fan of Vampiros back in the day as a wrestler. I did not think he was going to make a very great color guy, but uh, I'll just say right now, flat out, I was wrong. He's amazing on color. He is the heart and soul at times of what goes on in there. And Stryker has a brain for for this that I don't know if anybody knew that he had. Obviously, somebody did. They gave him the job. Um, But, you know, the way those guys are owning it right now and the the witty, smart, and, and ridiculous stuff that Stryker comes up with to stay on the stick, and then the, the way that Vampiro always puts heart into it is amazing. And they're not just purely down these face-heel lines or straight man color guy lines either. You know, sometimes uh, they'll go back and forth calling the action, and I don't know how they if they flip a coin, if they do it after the fact or what, but how they can be so evenly paced when, you know, they have this craziness going on in front of them um, and really coming up with great commentary without having to play strict roles. And, you know, sometimes uh, Vampiro will be all for uh, a Technico. Uh, next moment, he's cheering for a Rudo, the, you know, or he's having a feud with a wrestler himself. It's, it's amazing to me. So a lot of you already know the Lucha product, so let me, let me move on. Um, and just saying that the vignettes and the way that they've been doing them on Lucha have been amazing. You're getting this level of storytelling in a way that, uh, amazingly, wrestling has never done. You're getting this cinematic, arc-driven uh, storytelling behind the scenes. And being a fan that's been to the temple and seen live tapings, you don't get that when you're there. It doesn't feel like you've missed anything. You still feel like you're going to a great wrestling event, and they normally do a couple of episodes worth of matches, so you get a ton of stuff in one day of taping, um, and you feel like you've been to a big, almost pay-per-view level event every time you go. But then when you see it again on TV and they add in this storytelling and these elements of these vignettes, it's amazing. Um, And the way it pushes the story forward, and this week, let's jump right into this week, so I know there's, you know... uh, seasons worth of lucha that have already happened that i haven't talked about but this week there's a segment with a vignette with marty the moth and he is telling the backstory of his trust fund moth aztec family uh and it just it borders on ludicrous but at the same time it is one of my favorite things that i've ever seen on the show marty is an amazing uh, in-ring performer. He bumps like nobody. Like, honestly, he takes some of the sickest bumps I've ever seen. Um, you know, I was I was in the temple, and I just I saw the way he landed and the way he was selling stuff and the way he was bumping, you know, a foot away from me, and I was just really impressed. And I've been to a lot of wrestling matches, and you don't always see that. You don't see a guy putting over the other guys like like what Marty's doing. But on top of that, on top of the fact that he could sell for anybody and he bumps like nobody's business, he's actually a really good performer backstage and in front of the camera and an actor, let's say, Um, even though I question at times how much of it's even an act because it's hard to be that creepy unless there's some touch of that inside you somewhere. But this Marty the Moth segment, he's sitting down, he's reading this book. And he's talking about how, you know, they're, they've got this long history of Mariposa in their moth tribe, their Aztec moth tribe. And then you get to the end of it, and after you see him rubbing his face on co-eds or whatever that was, which was equally hilarious, you get to this point where he's staring at a blank book. And one of the fun things I wanted to do this podcast for was because... Nobody's talking about the theories, you know. DeJoseph and his staff, these guys, they're writing this great stuff. And, you know, when you have great science fiction and fantasy and and even this and wrestling or lucha, it's fun to think, okay, what are the writers going to do next? Just like somebody does with The Walking Dead. Like, where is it going? And this brought up a big question. Is, Is the book blank because Marty and Mariposa can still write their own chapter of the the Aztec moth tribe uh, story or is it blank because Marty's just freaking delusional and 
I'd love to know what anybody else's theories are on this thing. Personally, I think it's because Marty is flat out nuts. Uh, I know J-Man and Urban talked on their show about how maybe it's because uh, he has a future that is yet to be written. Uh, I don't know, but I love it, and I can't believe that, you know, this frivolous, fun little vignette segment has actually made me care (laughs) about Marty and Mariposa's history and them creating their own Aztec tribe or if this is supposed to be one of the seven tribes, which I'm pretty sure it's not. But it'd be interesting to see as the the tribal warfare and the whole bigger backstory behind Lucha Underground starts to unfold, if Marty can really interject himself or if he's just delusional and, and as everyone else is playing out the real ancestral Azteca battles, if Marty is just in there trying to insert himself with ridiculousness that has no place and Dario just is amused by it so he lets him do it i don't know i just think that it's uh it's worth talking about and that's exciting to me if you can write a backstage segment that's worth talking about that has the fans tweeting about it and and the people who i know watch lucha underground are, are still talking about that segment with everything that went on this this week talking about a backstage segment and going from that to the in-ring uh I really liked Mariposa this week. I liked what they did with her. Uh, I don't know if I'm thrilled about what's happened with Sexy Star. Um, I'm hoping to really see her bring it back. I know, you know, they they put a lot on her and Lucha Underground to be one of the, the stars and one of the faces and the names behind Lucha Underground, and I'd like to see that push continue. Um, as much as I love to see Marty and Mariposa getting over at the same time, you know, I don't want to see the that too far gone at the expense of Sexy Star, who I, I feel has earned a certain amount of push, or, or, or at least still deserves to have her push uh, continue, because she really does represent something special to a lot of fans out there, especially the female fans that I've talked to, really kind of look up to her and what she brings to the table, so... I get that she's creeped out, so and, and it worked in the ring that she's weirded out and, and she's not totally on her game for the match. And the last thing I'll say about that match is the finisher, the butterfly effect, whatever, that craziness that Mariposa dropped on Sexy Star. I wasn't quite expecting it. It wasn't the longest match ever, but uh, I thought it was a decent work rate. And to have that be the finisher, totally sold to me. I was totally over uh, it was totally over with me, and I, I liked it. I thought Sexy took the bump great. I thought Mariposa delivered it great. It was just a great spot. It made perfect sense. It wasn't overdone. It wasn't oversold. It was the right amount, and kudos to everyone involved in booking that match and performing that match. It was good stuff. Um, and speaking of in-ring work, you have to talk about the trios champions, the current trios champions in the storyline, uh, Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico, Angelico, whatever you want to call them. Uh, just amazing, amazing. There's so many spots that I, I don't even need to address, but I love the, the I call it the stairway to hell, where Son of Havoc is jumping down disciples into the ring. Just amazing to me. The finishers, the, the planches, everything just spot on about what those guys are doing um you know good things can't last forever so i don't know how long of a run these guys will get together if they'll all stay healthy if one of them has got more indie obligations etc or the other thing or but i will say this for every minute that that trio's tag team is on television i'm going to enjoy it like it's the last time i'm ever going to see them wrestle because they're just something special about them. They have a great chemistry going on. It was very unexpected when they first got them together in season one. And I'm glad to see that it's a storyline that's continued. Uh, Cause I know a lot of us fans were worried that they were going to break them up and we're just going to see a lot more singles action from them and whatnot. But I think together they're great. Uh, and kudos to evil least too, who, who went out there and performed last season even with injuries and just kept selling it and the storyline got over really great with all of us fans. Um, and I don't know that those guys would have gotten over without it. I think that it was the right gimmick, the right time, 
and it really works for them. So we'll see how far it goes. I feel like Eva Lee's, uh, her she'll be fine no matter what. She's got some feuds that she can have. She's she's easy to feud with other people, and she's gotten over enough. Um, I really hope that Angelico especially finds a way to stay at the top of the card. Uh, if the trios ever do break up, uh, I feel like Son of Havoc is definitely going to have uh, his feuds and be able to stay really close to the top of the card. Um, but Angelico, I, I don't want to see him like doing you know dumb jobber matches or just being thrown into battle royal situations or five on fives or something down the line. I really hope that uh, he can stick around and and really keep getting this kind of push. Um, and speaking of pushes, who's more over than Pentagon Jr.? And this is one of the things I, I on the first podcast that I just really want to talk about. Pentagon Jr. is over in Lucha Underground on this level, like, you know, a Stone Cold or uh, a Rock at a certain point. And, and I think it was as unexpected as it was for, for like a Stone Cold or the Rock. It wasn't because he was cutting great promos, <laughs> because, and it's honestly surprising because uh, you know all his promos are in Spanish and he wasn't really cutting a whole lot of them at the beginning. But the arm breaking thing, whoever came up with that and and let it go the way it did and really built it through the first season, that was genius. And there was something about it and the fact that it just started off so small. And he would just, you know, he'd come in, have a quick match, break somebody's arm. That was it. Move on to the next time. Come in, have a quick match, break somebody's arm. And th- there wasn't really a storyline that was was coming out of it. And it was just this, this thing that was building. And the fans, you know, by the first time I went, which was, I think, maybe the third third time that he had done something like that, you know, and then starting to and Vamp's reaction to Vampiro the way Vampiro sold it, and the reactions to it, and the, how crazy he was, and him, you know, scaring Melissa Santos and, and these other things, just got him so over with the crowd. And it wasn't because the crowd cared if he was technical or rudo, babyface or heel, whatever. They just liked the development. You got a guy with a cool look, a vicious persona. And he was doing something totally unique. He wasn't, you know, having these crazy matches like, you know, uh, Drago was having and Aerostar and these guys were were having at the time. He wasn't jumping off the rafters or anything. He was just selling his gimmick the way that you could tell he in his mind always thought it should be. He's just selling it. And, you know, kudos to, to Lucha Underground for letting pentagon come in there and just go off and just do his thing and it led to of course what all lucha fans know now was the one of the craziest lucha matches in history with the Sierra metal match with vampiro and that's the kind of stuff that legends are made out of like i almost wish nobody was watching that's like Back in the day when you would hear about some crazy barbed wire match or something where you, you just couldn't believe it until you actually got a VHS tape from somebody and saw the, this crazy matches, you know, at some house show. You know, it was that level of you're witnessing something special. And, you know, so Pentagon is, I think, probably the most over wrestler in Lucha. But that brings us to... You know, a big issue is where's the money in somebody who's over, you know, and they always say the money's in the chase. Given Puma was, you know, a, a prestige champion, a technical kind of champion in the first season, and he was very over because of it. But you can't I don't think you can do that with Pentagon. You can't put the belt on a, a Pentagon and just let him reign because then he's going to turn into a monster. There, there's nothing else for him to do. And because he's kind of this tweener persona of he's clearly Rudo, but at the same time, the fans love him. It's going to be hard to find a way to, to keep his push going the right way. The fans seem like they're going to stay clearly behind him. Um, but then that brings me to this week, 
with your new champion, the monster Matanza Cueto. And boy, I'll tell you, it was hard to watch Pentagon, a character that, you know, the, the real Lucha fans all love. It was really hard to watch him get squashed. And, you know, as a fan, I have to say, it's concerning. But maybe that's a good thing. I mean, maybe that's exactly what DJ and the gang are going for. They want you to be concerned about your favorite. You you don't want to feel like Pentagon's the one that's invincible. You want to feel like there's a challenge, like that he's going to have to find some new way to beat this monster. Um, but at the same time, you know, and, and I know... Lucha fans are are wary of being critical of the product, but at the same time, you see a guy like Matanza, who I think is actually a really good wrestler, um, you know, and I won't uh, break kayfabe and talk about who he is outside of the character, but he's, I think he's a good wrestler, I, I like that he's been brought in for this, it's a really big push, um, considering the character that he's come into, and being the boss's brother and whatnot, and this huge monster, but it, it, it's concerning. We've seen monsters in other promotions. You know what a monster run means. I mean, you know, is this going to be Bill Goldberg? Are we going to see this guy, you know, just with the belt already in hand, just thrash everybody in the whole promotion for weeks and weeks and weeks on end? Um, does he have a weakness? Is Dario his weakness? You know, where's the storyline go? And as a fan, I'm always concerned when I see a monster, uh, and those guys that are physically more imposing than everyone else, they have a gimmick that's more imposing than a lot of other people. You know, I think they've done a great job with guys like Cage, and they've kept him, you know, being this machine that can destroy everyone, but they put him in matches where you get to see his awesome work rate, he's got some vulnerabilities, there's the right kind of swerves going on, so he's not this thing that you think no one can beat. Um, which is, I guess, to his detriment at times for Cage, but for Matanza, it worries me. I mean, he's not going to be doing much of his talking. It's going to be Dario, and if any at all. And he's already just obliterated um, the icon, is what I think I'll call him, the icon of Lucha Underground in Pentagon Jr. So, you know, without getting any spoilers or anything out there, um, you know, I know a lot of people who have been to tapings and whatnot know a little bit of where some of this might be going, but at the same time, I just wonder, wow, was that too soon? Great match to watch. Love the show. Love the ending. Had me wanting more. You know, I tweeted out the worst thing about Lucha Underground is having to wait 167 hours till the next episode airs. And that is so true after seeing something like that, seeing it play out and wondering, God, how do they push these guys now? Where does this feud go now when Matanza has really just crushed the icon of Lucha Underground? And I think that's something we'll talk about more in the future, depending on how this Matanza championship reign plays out. Is Katrina going to get involved? Where's Mil Muertes fit into all this? Um, you know, and... and you know, if you're looking at the top of the ladder, I guess really what you're looking at, the top of the card is Matanza, Pentagon Jr., and Mil Muertes. Um, you know, and maybe a few other guys can work their way in there, and, and hopefully let's let's see a Brian Cage or a Morrison work their way in there. Um, and it'll be interesting. Um, so, but that's one of my concerns. And I'm I love the Lucha product, but at the same time, I'm not afraid to be critical of certain aspects and and more more than critical just questioning it as a fan and i hope the other fans out there are questioning these things too because it means that you care it means that you're interested in the product and where it's going and you know and hopefully it's exciting i know the ratings are, are moving up hopefully more eyeballs are coming to the program and i hope as they come to the program you know the monster push for matanza isn't something that slows down the fans uh respect for the product at all because I know sometimes these things are necessary, and I think there has to be an element of the chase, like I said, for Pentagon uh, to be the exciting character that he is. He has to be on the quest to get that thing, and, and we need to see, like, will he slip more into darkness to get it, or is he going to do more of a face turn um, to try to get to the to the front? Is he going to collect allies? Is he going to, 
just beat his head against the wall trying to beat this Matanza and get his opportunities from Dario when there's just nothing there that he can do to win. So I'm excited to see where that goes, and, and I hope that Lucha knows that Pentagon is the breakout star at this point. I mean, you, you've got your Prince Puma, and you've got some of these other guys, and obviously with Ray coming in now, you've got some huge stars there, but at the same time, Pentagon feels like the star that the Believers and the, the Lucha Click and the Bala Club and the guys who are coming to all these tapings, he is the star that they want, and they want to see big storylines and big things happen too. And obviously, people want to see him wear the strap at some point in time. So the question remains, will Lucha Underground give the fans that satisfaction, or is it better for them to drag the fans along, always wanting it, and always just being slightly out of reach, like, you know, some sitcom relationship from the 80s with, you know, on Cheers or something, where they're always just so close to doing it, and then they never do it, because if they did, you'd stop watching. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. I have the question. I have no answer. That's my biggest question. What do you do with a tweener Pentagon that's more over than anyone in in Lucha? And what do you do with Matanza now that you've created this monster? Can this monster be contained? Um, you know, another... The match I didn't mention that I'll talk about right now is Taya and Johnny Morrison... Uh, or uh, Johnny Mundo, whatever you want to call him. Um, I, I, I'm going to publicly question right now what, what is going on with Taya. I want to know. That first match with her and Cage was so, so amazing. Um, and, and it surprised me. Uh, I was not at the taping where that, that match happened, but I had heard from some people like, oh, you're going to be impressed, man. You're going to be impressed when you see this girl. And I was like, okay, well, I know she's been around, and, you know, I've heard that she, she's got really good training, and, you know, I can't wait to see it. And then I saw the actual match with her and Cage, which I, I believe aired a couple weeks ago or last week. Um, amazing. I was blown away. The work rate was ridiculous. It was uh, insane. And I know this week you, you had the, the run-in and the, the Morrison being afraid thing, and that, that worked. Um, I just hope that, you know, I hope that she doesn't turn into a valet or something like that. I want to see her wrestle. I want to see her continue to get uh, a push, and I want to see her get a push from the in-ring work that, that she's obviously capable of after watching that match with, with her and Cage. Uh, I just want to see that. She put in some good work this week, so did Morrison uh, for the three and a half seconds he's in there. And and kudos to to Johnny Mundo for, you know, being willing to go in there and do bits that are a little more acting than just his physical presence. Because the dude is a specimen. The dude, I mean, he's got ridiculous moves. He's always innovating, you know, he's, you know, twisting and turning and parkouring off of stuff. And the guy's in-ring ability is amazing. So it's awesome for him that he doesn't just have to rely on that, that he can do some heel spots that he can run away and whatnot. Um, but I'll just leave it at the fact that I, I, the, the jury is still out on the use of Taya and where her character is going. And I really hope that they find some good feuds for her and and people that she can really work with and that you know she can put over and that can put her over because i think that the in-ring work is certainly there and deserves to be you know witnessed by everyone in new and exciting matches um other things i'm, I'm really excited for i think too is whatever the eventual payoff between ivalice and katrina is going to be um that's been building for a long time. I don't know how they're going to pay it off or if they just stretch it out, but be really interesting to see what they can make out of those two and, you know, continuing them with minor feuds on the sides that, you know, maybe builds into something bigger and what kind of maybe a specialty match in the future for, for them. Um, that's all I'm going to say about Lucha this week. I will say that, uh, next week, next podcast, I really want to talk about, will there ever be, a champion, uh, the the big champion, the, the main belt champion that is a non-masked character in Lucha Underground. It's something I'm going to talk about next week. 
Um, but now I want to switch gears a little bit, and this might be strange for some people that, you know, are more MMA fans or more lucha fans or wrestling fans. I'm going to talk about MMA. Uh, it may be weird to talk about those two things in a podcast, but they're my two favorite things that I love, and damn it, I'm going to do it whether anybody likes it or not, as I said at the beginning of the podcast. So the first thing I want to talk about is Nate Connor 2 for UFC 200 at 170 pounds. Um, I will say I'm a fan of Nate Diaz 209, what, what? And I'm, I'm a fan of Conor McGregor uh, simply because he has talked the most smack uh, out of anybody in a long, long time and backed it up in a lot of ways. He's taken up a lot of fights. He's, yeah, he's had a few things given to him and in easier circumstances given to him. And maybe the short notice thing paid, out, paid off for him in the past with Chad Mendez. And this time uh, the short notice thing didn't pay off for him with Nate Diaz with his last fight. But I am completely baffled by a few things. I think he is the biggest draw in the company, but being at the top of the card when now an interim 145 featherweight bout is being contended underneath him on the card between Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo, I am completely perplexed. Uh, It's just weird. It's not that, you know, prestige-wise, it doesn't deserve to be that way on the card. I think eyeballs-wise and numbers and what's going to draw and what fans want to see it makes sense, but it just kind of tweaks the credibility of that belt to me. Uh, I don't even mind Jose and, and Frankie fighting for an interim belt. I said a few months ago that that's what I thought should happen um, while Connor is sorting out this other stuff, and then they can either strip Connor or he can relinquish the belt or he can go down and fight for it, whatever, doesn't matter. Let those two fight, let them have an interim belt. But the fact that it's now on the same card at UFC 200, I find to be strange. Um, I feel like there's something bigger at play and I feel like the only way Connor goes back down to fight one of those two for that belt or to unify is if he loses to Nate Diaz. I feel like the reason why this fight is staying at 170 pounds is that because there's something else at play, either, uh, Connor's going to fight a GSP or Robbie Lawler or somebody else. I think there's bigger names and bigger money in those higher weights. Uh, And I think that that's part of where the UFC is turning now, to these specialty fights and to these things that people are latching onto because they're interested in them, and it's not just about the prestige of titles or best versus the best. It's most exciting conceptually versus most exciting conceptually. I think the, the fight with Nate proved that to a lot of people that the casual fans, and, and they want to see some smack talking, they want to see some heat, they want to see some guys who are personalities, who have some character, um, and, and they, they want to see a little bit of that out-of-ring, uh, out-of-octagon work, similar to professional wrestling in, in a certain regards, but uh, obviously with the, a different level of stakes being that it's not written and you can't control the outcomes. Because believe you me, if you could control the outcomes, uh, I don't care what anybody says, there was no fix in on that Nate diaz Conor McGregor fight. Those guys were swinging hard. They were swinging for the fences with, with serious malice towards one another. And I don't think it was in the UFC's best interest for Nate to win that fight that way. Uh, that's not a finish that you would have booked if... if MMA was rigged. But at the same time, because of that, I I think, you know, uh, they're just going to run it back and see what happens this time and maybe get the results they were hoping for to set up a big fight for UFC 200. Um, I think that the GSP being there in the audience says a lot. He's not a guy that just shows up randomly at events uh, that anyone knows of. And yes, he was planning on coming to that event for a while, it seems, but... uh, I think, obviously, to me, if Connor had won that, there may have been a call-out from GSP or at least some talk afterwards to the press and the media about a GSP-Connor fight for UFC 200. That obviously did not happen, but that doesn't mean it couldn't still happen. It could be the thing that headlines a stadium somewhere. Uh, It could be the thing that brings GSP back to the sport, which is another big, big money name. And at the end of the day, keep in mind, UFC does not call itself a league. They are not a mixed martial arts league. They call themselves a fight promotion. They are promoters, which means they are in the business to make fights that they can hype up, 
to get people to watch. They want to pop a pay-per-view number. They want to keep their partners at Fox happy. They want to sell ads. Um, they're creating television programming, and they are promoting. They are not a league. They are not team owners. Um, this is It's completely unique to this sport that that they have all these fighters under their contract, and yet they're the promoter and not a league. Um, I don't know if that's a problem with the sport or not, but I, I think people lose sight of that at times. Dana White is a promoter, uh, and, and kudos to him. He's one of the best promoters we've ever seen. He will be remembered for a long, long time in sports uh, because of it. I mean, in, in 20 years, he, he's basically created a whole sport, uh, a sport that existed before him, but it was fledgling and it wasn't doing so hot and it was, uh, you know, taking a lot of crap and he, he helped bolster it and, you know, and, and the reality show did too. And, and uh, you know, it's come a long way, but at the same time, he's a promoter. So I'm looking at UFC 200 and I, I'm just a little bit baffled. There's some other great fights on that card. I mean, I, I love the Aldo Edgar fight. I just don't know about it being underneath it. Kane versus Travis Brown. That's uh, an amazing fight to have, especially considering it could headline a, a Fox Sports card or even a big Fox card. And, you know, it's going to be one of the preliminary fights. It's, it's, I mean, even if it's on the main card, it'll probably be the first fight on the main card with these other fights. Um, I even like Sage, Sage Northcutt being on there. And I'll say this, uh, Sage has taken a lot, a lot, a lot of abuse in the media. I think that he is the right idea for the UFC. I think that we need to be following more of these young guys, more of these up-and-comers. Uh, I like seeing the sport develop. I like that he got his push on Fight Pass primarily um, to start. And then, you, you know, you push him up the ladder, and, and it didn't work out great for him. But that's okay, because people lose in the UFC. It's fine. I, I don't think a loss means what it used to mean. I think a loss means, hey, that guy that you like that you saw coming up, now you know that he's got some weaknesses and you want to see what he can do with it and how he can develop more and if he can overcome it. Um, the sage, same with uh, PBZ, Paige Van Zandt. Uh, when she's done with her time twirling around on Dancing with the Stars, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see her come back and do these things. And again, this is because these are fight promoters. This is not just a league. There, this Within UFC, there are levels. And I know everyone wants UFC to be the elite of the elite. And I think at the top of the card, it should be. Those main events, those pay-per-view people, they should be well-established. But there's nothing wrong with these kind of fighters on the prelims, the undercards. I, bring me the best 3-0 fighter out there or 4-1 or fighters out there. You know, the UFC is its own minor leagues at this point, And there's no reason why those people should have to be at Bellator or somewhere else. Um, they can be on the. They can be part of the UFC roster. I will watch them on those shows. I am interested in their storylines. I am interested in the coverage of their storylines. I want to see more of that in the UFC in general. I want to know who these mid card and low card guys are. Give me good packages on them. Give me good stories. Give me internet content on Fight Pass. Um, and and let's prop up. You know, people get mad at Sage for what he's making. I say Sage isn't the problem. The problem is there's not more Sages. Let's get more guys like that in the UFC, and and they're there already. Let's talk about them. Let's let's get some Aljamain Sterling coverage. Let's let's find out who these guys are. You know, they're they're coming up. They they've got good characters. They can talk a little bit, um, and they can fight. You know, and they're serious guys. You know. Sage, for whatever he is lacking in the ring or forever, however fast he, he tapped out of that fight or whatever, is still a lifelong martial artist. The kid is not playing around, you know? Maybe he's got some holes in his game. Maybe he's got some things he needs to work on. But let's face it, he's not off the street. He's still a professional fighter. And he's been professional fighter level quality athlete uh, most of his life. So... You know, let's see more of these guys. Um, this isn't like it used to be where, where it's a tough man competition anymore. I want to see these trained athletes and what they can do, and let's test them. Let's test them again. Put them against another hard guy. Let's see them lose twice, and then I'll still watch his next fight after that. I'm not going away from fighters like that. I'm not turning away from stories like that. I personally like it, um, and I think that the journalists and the, the pros and the people who didn't like what was done with Sage are just wrong. I think that that stuff is the future of the business. That's where the money's going to be. And the fighters who had a problem with it, they're going to love it when they're fighting against the stage Northcutt and they're getting a better payday. 
when these characters and these names that are being built up from the ground up when they're young and new are against them and Connor's and Connor McGregor too everyone's going to benefit from these guys. Nate Diaz is benefiting from it right now. He was around for a lot longer than Connor was. He put in his time, he did everything he could do, and he got to the point where all he could do is complain about it. And yeah, it was red panty night for Nate Diaz. And guess what? He beat the mess out of that man. You know, it was great. You know, he was losing the first round, and he came back and he won in the second round, and he made him look bad. And kudos to him, because he is the guy that's been there longer. And you know, but it's great. It's great that he had a Conor McGregor to fight. We need more of those guys, and the only way to do that is to make them. They made Conor a long time ago, and Conor kind of took the ball and ran with it. We need more fighters that'll run with it like that. Um, so that brings me to the last thing I'm going to talk about this week, and that's John Jones versus the Albuquerque Police Department, and what in the world is going on there? Amazing, ridiculous, out of control. I, I don't even know what to say on so many fronts. First of all, I believe that I believe a certain amount of John Jones' story. Not because of John Jones, not because he hasn't done some things to warrant some criticism. Uh, he certainly has. But at the same time, uh, I have a lot of friends who are police, and I've been on both sides of it. I've ridden with police for, for shows that I've worked on personally. And I know how certain things go. John Jones' biggest mistake was being in that particular motor vehicle. I'm here to tell you that if you're a police officer and you see that motor vehicle coming down the street, regardless of who's in it, not, not necessarily profiling because of race or age or anything else, you're profiling that vehicle. In a place like Albuquerque, New Mexico, you see that white, what I think is a Corvette or something, you see that vehicle, you hear that engine, and immediately you're thinking, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. I'm going to see if he does anything wrong. A, I know he's got money. B, if he's in a car like that, he, what's the point? I mean, the worst thing you could do if you want to stay off the radar is have a nice car, especially a performance vehicle. And that was John's biggest mistake. You know, when he got into all the other trouble, man, drive a Taurus, drive a SUV, something else. If not, getting a driver. I get that going back and forth to two a days, you know, to the gym and having a driver is a pain in the butt, especially if you're doing night sessions. But at the same time, man, that car is just going to bring eyeballs in a town like Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's just all that's to it. And, you know, then the reaction, uh, I, I, honestly, I was fine with John's reaction up to a certain point. I love that if you're going to be that guy, you're one of the baddest dudes on the planet. You do have money. If that can't be the guy that speaks his mind, then what are the rest of us all fighting for? Why is anybody else trying to climb up the ladder? You know, there is something to be said for privilege and the rights of privilege. And man, you get to a certain point in life, maybe you should be the guy that can say something. But, but, uh, telling the cop that he was a liar, one thing. Calling him names and starting to call him a pig and whatnot, and that's where I was kind of like, ooh, that's across the line. You know, I, I... I have a, a certain respect for certain law enforcement officers, and I have a certain distaste for what some other ones have done. But at the same time, uh, I don't have their job. I don't know their stresses. And that kind of insult, when they're in the line of doing their work, regardless of whether their work was justified or not, I think just crosses a line. And that's, that's problematic for John, because it, the sympathy from a lot of people is going to be gone right there. That's where, you know, the second he drops the, the pig comment on him, the sympathy from a lot of people is out the window. Being mad, being upset if you think it's a wrongful ticket is one thing, but you got to be careful with your words. You are a public figure. He asked the cop if he was recording, so he knew it was being recorded at that point in time, which makes it even bigger of a mistake that is against all of the media training that any type of celebrity, whether they're an athlete or actor or just any public persona, you know better. You know something is being recorded, and maybe he does need anger management because that is the point where you can talk all the smack you want. You can say every dirty word in the book. You have a, a fundamental right to free speech, but at the same time, the rest of us in America, the rest of us have a right to judge you on that free speech as well. And you're going to be judged when you are recorded 
saying something like that to a police officer, regardless of how wrong they were, um, it was a mistake. That was the biggest mistake there, that car driving that vehicle. John, get a driver, drive an SUV, get a caravan, whatever, get a minivan, get out of the, the white sports car and, you know, please do something to make reparations to the police department so that your public image can not be sullied going into this match with Cormier. Because I really like the fact that somehow everyone healed out Cormier, even though he's seems like a wonderful guy, but, you know, and John Jones was getting this big face push out of nowhere because I think to a lot of people, John Jones is more realistic. We're John Jones. We make mistakes. We want our heroes to have a certain type of vulnerability that we all share. John Jones obviously has that and maybe more vulnerabilities, but it's nice for people to see. And I think people like him as a realistic hero. They want to see him come back. They want to see him do well. And they want to know that they can do well in life too, because they have their flaws. That's what John Jones represents. I think that's why people were booing Cormier. None of us are going to be Olympians. None of us are going to be Daniel Cormier. None of us are going to wear the suits and be on Fox every week and, and be eloquent with our words like that. And, and it makes him a heel, not because he's bad. DC, if you don't know why you are getting healed out or becoming the bad guy, the reason is because you're better than us. Nobody wants to be rooting for the guy that they know is better than them, especially if he's saying I'm better than all of you. That makes a heel. We all know it. It's something that's worked in wrestling forever. He doesn't get it because he's not playing a character. It's his real life. He really is an Olympian. He really is this high-level athlete who trains every day, who takes care of himself, who tries to eat right, who says the right things, who tries to do right by his family, who does right by his training partners, has all this loyalty. This is the problem. John Jones isn't that dude. Everyone else is like, man, if I was that young and I was the youngest UFC champion, I'd lose my mind. I'd be at parties every week. I'd be out, you know, in the club, FaceTime. So this is the deal. I hope, John, this is it, man. There's only a few more chances left for John Jones. He's got to get through that fight. He's got to get there. And uh, honestly, the more this out-of-ring stuff happens, the more I got to say the odds come up in Daniel's favor. And I believe that DC is working on some things. We'll see if he can pull them off in the ring. But John Jones is a beast. John Jones still has not been tested for real in that ring. We'll see if DC can really do it this time. That's it. That's all I got this week. I'll be back next week with some more Lucha, some more UFC. You guys stay calm, stay in the mix. I'm out. <laughs>